Welcome to Talking Shop from Vixen Labs, the podcast making voice work for marketers. In this series, we dive into the data, scour the case studies, and bring you the business insights you need to build voice into your digital and marketing strategies. I'm your host, James Poulter, CEO at Vixen Labs, and each week I'll be joined by industry leaders to help us get really practical when it comes to building voice into your marketing strategy. Whether you're wondering how voice search can help customers find you, or how voice applications can enable you to connect and convert customers, well, this is the show for you. Okay, let's get talking. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a new podcast from Vixen Labs, the Talking Shop podcast, the Making Voice Work for Marketers show. That is what we're all about here, making voice something that you can utilize in your day-to-day whether you're a marketing practitioner working in R&D, technology, or innovation, this is where we're going to help you get stuck into using voice. And when we say voice, we mean voice across the board, smart speakers on mobile and on the web. And in this first series, one of the big things we're going to be doing is unpacking the data that we have just finished compiling for something that we've just launched here at Vixen in partnership with the Open Voice Network, which is called the Voice Consumer Index 2021. This is an in-depth study into the data around usage of voice, attitudes to voice in the UK, the US and Germany. And I'm very excited to say on this first episode, we're joined by my colleagues and friends who've helped bring this together. So first up, we have Scott and Susan Westwater from Pragmatic Digital. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, yeah. And we're also joined by John Stein, who's the Executive Director at Open Voice Network as well. John, thanks for, for joining us from On The Road. JP, thanks so much. John, can I start with you? Maybe just kind of introduce us a little bit to what the Open Voice Network is about, because it's a relatively new thing anyway, and some people may not be so familiar. And also, why was it important for you guys to get involved in in this research as we get into it here on the show? You know, understanding the Open Voice Network, there's probably two perspectives. One, it's an industry association. It's neutral. It's nonprofit. It's affiliated with the Linux Foundation. It's dedicated to developing standards and ethical use guidelines for this coming world of voice assistance. And the, the world that we're going to be studying here in this podcast. The second thing, I think, in the perhaps the better, more insightful understanding of the Open Voice Network, it's dedicated to bringing about a world that makes voice assistance worthy of user trust. And with that as the aspiration of the Open Voice Network, doing and supporting research, and we play the role as a sponsor here, Supporting research like this, where we understand usage, how are individuals using voice, where do they want to go with voice, because standards and standards development, that's a living, breathing, evergreen thing. And unless we understand where and how this technology is being used, we really can't address the ethical, regulatory, and standards-based issues that are in front of it. So again, JP, we very much appreciate this opportunity to be involved and support this research. Well, John, thank you so much. And we appreciate the support of the Open Voice Network in in bringing it to bear. And as part of that support, one of the big things has been to have uh, some of the ambassadors involved in the creation of it, which is where Scott and Susan come in, not only in being uh, ambassadors for OVM, but also being long-term friends and collaborators with us here at Vixen Labs on things like the Voice Masters program, and now more recently, uh, this research. Susan, Scott, why don't you just introduce yourselves for people that maybe don't know you yet? Sure. We're Susan and Scott Westwater. We are founders of Pragmatic Digital, authors of Voice Strategy, 
creating useful and usable experiences, and also moderators of the designer strategist community for the Open Voice Network, in addition to being ambassadors. Our excitement with this research is that we, as uh, former UXers or current UXers, depending on how you want to look at it, we came at this from a UX perspective. And so we're excited to collaborate and help with understanding usage, helping with crafting questions and partnering with the great folks of Vixen and Delineate to come up with a questionnaire that helps us get at what people uh, think about voice, what they do with voice now, and what they want to do in the future. And uh, in our role of being able to look at it that way, we were able to create the white paper off of that data that helps put that into a summarization of here's what the findings are, but also here's what you can do about it and be able to say, this is the actionable pieces of this data. That's absolutely right. And we thank you for many hours laboring over lots of stats and facts. You mentioned Delineate, who are our other partners in producing this piece of research. So for those of you listening, if you don't know them, they're a fantastic research company that helps us bring all of this together. And we're very thankful for, for their support on it as well. Now, Scott and Susan mentioned there something that's really helpful. If you haven't yet downloaded the executive summary or the white paper, you can find all of that information at vixenlabs.co slash VCI, standing for Voice Consumer Index. You can go get the executive summary document for free. You can sign up and download the white paper. And if you've not done that up until now and you want to follow along with some of the stats that we're going to be talking about in this rather voice-driven medium, you may want to pause the show and go and do that now. So uh, you can find all the links to that in the show notes wherever you're listening, be that on iTunes, Spotify, or indeed on the web. So go and do that now. So in this episode, we're going to be unpacking some of the key findings from the Voice Consumer Index 2021. We're going to be looking at some of the things that we found most surprising, some of the things that are a bit of a curveball. And then over the coming episodes, we're going to be looking into the deep dive sector expertise of retail, of technology, of food and drink, of uh, healthcare, banking, and many others as well over coming episodes, including upcoming guests, people such as the retail federations, both in the US and also Europe, and also consultancies like 11FS here in London, who've been consulting some of the biggest financial institutions in the world on technology as well. So all of that's more to come in upcoming episodes. But today, as I say, it's unpacking the big stuff, the things that you guys really need to know in order to be able to take this and to be actionable for your marketing and for your planning for 2021 and 22 and beyond. And so what I want to do is go around the table and really just kind of get first thoughts really from each of you on what's something that really struck you as we went through this research process and what's one of the big findings that you really want us to focus on. John, maybe I'll come to you as we, as we kind of kick this off. What's something that stood out to you from the research, maybe something that you found surprising as we get into this? I don't know, JP, that it was surprising. Maybe it was affirming or exciting, I think, is, is the term. And that is voice becoming a tool, a marketing enterprise, business development, value creation tool, as opposed to say it's been the consumer toy. From a smart speaker, tell jokes to my kids, play music on Spotify, tell me the weather, to consumers searching products, searching brands using voice assistance. Crossing the chasm, and you can see right now in this data, voice is crossing the chasm from perhaps a toy, interesting, fun, exciting, ooh, look at this, to now a business development value creation tool. I think a very exciting shift that we're seeing in this data, long promised, now it's happening. 
Absolutely. I think that that shift that we've been looking for for a long time, you know, as, as you say, we've been looking for, for something that can confirm this. It's, it's been hard to kind of come across the right thing that would really make that clear. And I, I think we've got that. Maybe Susan, Scott, help us unpack some of this as well. You know, what is it that's confirming some of these trends that we've been looking for for a while? Where do you see that in the findings that we have so far? Well, first off, it's the awareness. Uh, we have an incredibly high amount of awareness across all three areas that we studied. So US, UK and Germany. And 57 here in the United States, I think it's around 60% in Germany, but right around that 57 to 60 or so percent of usage. And we see an incredibly high amount of weekly, daily, and multiple times a day. And when we first got the results back, we literally were like doing laps in our office and cheering because it was such an exciting confirmation that all the suspicions that we had are finally been confirmed. And I think it's also exciting to point out that it goes beyond the speaker. Um, We saw a lot of data that showed that smartphones and speakers go hand in hand, but that people are actually really pushing to see where else they can use voice and take it with them or, or even make it a more private experience when they're sitting in their homes. And then again, using those assistants on those smartphones or other devices. That's exciting because that means they're really starting to integrate voice into the fabric of their lives. Yeah. So I think the the big takeaway for us is we're much further ahead than we thought. Mm-hmm. Business is actually now playing from behind. I know there's a lot of business stakeholders that think, you know, another year or two will start investing. Your consumers are using it right now and they're using it quite frequently. So now's the time to actually start investing. Now's the time to actually get your content found as people are starting to use these experiences. That's absolutely right. I think the discoverability thing is something we've spoken about for a long time, right? Is how do people find things via voice? And one of the things that comes out from the research that I think really struck me is that you know, the diversity of which the ways people will kind of go and find things with voice and interact with this system is actually pointing to probably a much more advanced consumer than we really expected. So if you're following along and looking at the data, if you're looking into um, either on the executive summary or in the, uh, the white paper, you'll find this statistic, which I think is really telling about what people do um, when it comes to using voice devices, and particularly how do they learn what a voice device can do. And we found that in the top box across all three countries that we surveyed in the US, the UK, and Germany, and and in each market we've surveyed over 2,000 people in each country, we found that over 70% in all three of those territories are saying that they had trial and error, or I had a go, as the top reason for how they learn things. And this tells me a couple of interesting things. You know, one, obviously, it brings out the fact that you know, this is something that people are willing to play with, and they're also willing to persist with playing with but, you know, over time. But also what really highlights is what they didn't say in the top box is what's in the bottom boxes. And that is things like reading consumer or tech news or um, examples being shown in advertising. And I think that that, to me, is a really big indicator for the industry is that people aren't discovering what they can do with their voice via the brands and businesses that we already know and are familiar with, that have established other journeys with us, they're relying upon trial and error. And in most cases, also things like word of mouth. And I think that that to me was one of the most kind of striking things. So we've got an advanced consumer that wants to try stuff. And we learn from some of the other steps, which we'll get into in a minute around search, that they're willing to search for things, but they're not finding it from brands and advertisers and marketeers. And I think that that for, yeah, if you're listening and, and that's your role, this is something that we've got to jump on, right? What did, did you find that equally surprising, guys? Absolutely. You know, when we think about how technology is adopted, there are very distinct phases beyond looking at the, the typical um, Everest Rogers bell curve of adoption by volume. There's an attitudinal thing that happens where you go from skeptic 
to kind of an experimenter where it's like, oh, this is a cool toy into this whole exploration phase. And that's solidly where we are. So when Scott was talking earlier about we're farther along than we thought, a lot of folks have moved from that idea of experiment of, you know, hey, what can this thing do? And using those entry points such as weather, timers, music, and they're moving into more specific tasks of what they want. And that's exciting to see. And seeing the attitudes showing into what they're doing, and you know, we'll obviously unpack a lot more in the the white paper and in upcoming episodes of the podcast. But the idea is that people are looking for those specific things, and there's a need right now, just like we saw with mobile, just like we saw with the web. We have to, as creators and marketers, explain to them how to do it. There will come a time where it is natural. And it'll just be second guesses as you never think about what a website address is. But right now, we have to be more specific and say we can get at those those deeper tasks that help you engage with our brand and use our products. It's very clear from the data that consumer behavior is, broadly speaking, well ahead of the corporate marketing department. That voice has not is not yet a line item in corporate marketing budgets. Well. You know, it's maybe it's an experiment. Maybe it's something we try. You know, it's still this kind of I just don't know. But consumers are doing it. And as Scott and Susan said, as you pointed out, it's there. It's happening. It's becoming normative. And so in turn, it's time for voice to be normative in that corporate marketing budget. Because if they're searching, if they're doing all the things that that you're about to talk about, the research shows If you can't be heard and if you're not listening, they're not going to find you. That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, let me me kind of take us back a little bit to some of the kind of core findings that came out of the research. So just if you've not had a chance yet to digest the headlines, let me just kind of refresh you on a couple of other things. So one of the first things that we found is that 31% of people across the markets that we surveyed are using voice assistants on a daily basis, with almost half of them actually using it once a week. Now, up until now, I think I'm right in saying that most of the research that John, you and the team at OVN have looked at has mostly looked at kind of this monthly usage figure. We often cite that as monthly usage. How important is it to know that this has now kind of actually trickled down into kind of daily and weekly usage versus that kind of more monthly pattern? What difference does that make for us? This is a clear indicator that this is normative. You know, monthly, you could say, well, I tried it and, oh, it was interesting. It was at my brother-in-law's house, so I tried it. And that was monthly usage. That didn't indicate a regular behavior, a normative behavior, a habit. And now we're talking about 31% for whom voice is a habit. If you want that 31%, you've got to be part of that. Yeah, and it's also, I suppose, for me, that's yeah, it's coming out of that kind of early adopter into kind of that early majority phase, right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we also see across the markets here is that you know we found people were having very similar usage patterns, right? So it's almost sixty percent in every single market are, are voice assistant users. I mean, Scott and Susan, you know, we've looked at this in the UK last year with our previous piece of research, as you know, and now this is the first time we're kind of getting this data back on the US. Were you interested to see that there wasn't more kind of regional variation? Does that surprise you at all? It doesn't really surprise me. And as we looked at the data, and even as you overlay the charts on top of each other, the trends are clearly the same. It might be plus or minus a few percentage points one way or the other, depending on which market you're talking about. But overall, consumers are behaving very similarly in the US, in the UK, and in Germany. There are some cultural nuances that we saw in the data when it comes to privacy and willingness to use it outside of the home around people you don't know. But generally speaking, we're seeing the same types of trends. So this isn't just a US phenomenon or a UK phenomenon. This is truly a global phenomenon. 
And so, you know, for all of the enterprises out there that have a global presence, this is definitely something that you have to work into your omni-channel approach. And it's not just region specific. It's something that will go across all of your markets. I think what I, I was surprised by is that we've often known that the UK consumer can be sometimes more advanced in trying things. That's not a big surprise. We've seen that in the past with mobile and things with social, which we've always found odd, I suppose, because you know Silicon Valley being such a you know, kind of heavy proponent of a lot of this technology, but the adoption isn't always necessarily uh, kind of unilateral across the US. So I think for me, it was really interesting to see that actually that kind of that difference that we were expecting to see has actually caught up quite a lot as well. And that, and that kind of habit and behavior use is very similar. Now, of course, when we dig into the device types and the platforms, both by age and also by country, we do see some variance there. One of the things that we found particularly, um, which I think is really interesting, is this age variability when it comes to where people are most likely to be using their devices. And one of the things we see in the data is that the under kind of 25 cohort, particularly the kind of 18 to 25 year old cohort, is very much heavily more a mobile user and predominantly a, a, an iOS user when it comes to voice, which I, again, I don't think we necessarily find surprising in that sense. You know, kind of the, the dominance of, of Apple's smartphone ecosystem in the US in particular is, is pretty, pretty hefty. But what I was really interested to see from an accessibility perspective and also, you know, kind of from um, maybe the potentially the impact of the pandemic is. When you look at the upper age brackets and how well adopted they are for things like smart speaker platforms like Amazon, Alexa, I think that that's something we've seen a big effect of. John, what, what's your takeaway from, from that kind of particular data point? I would just say this, that as you're planning the future and you know that it takes 18 to 24 to 36 months to implement something important, you take a look at those smartphone users who are voice dependent you take a look at the growth of voice across all age brackets, and you realize this is on a trend line that is identified today. But when those 18-year-olds are now 24, 25-year-olds, they're forming families, they're buying homes, they're doing all this. Again, if you're not in voice, you're not there. So it's becoming the default in many ways, I think, for, for many people. Now, that, that's all well and good. But one of the things that we also see in the data is some of the barriers to entry, right? So whilst we're, you know, it's great, we've got this kind of 60% market share in each market of voice users across, across all devices and platforms, there's still a, a significant minority there that are non-voice users. And Scott, Susan, can you just take us through a little bit about what some of the reasons are that people have cited for being a non-user? What, what are the barriers for people kind of uh, getting into using voice at the moment? And maybe how can we overcome some of those? Sure, absolutely. So one thing I want to note is that privacy is a concern for users and non-users alike. What it comes down to is, is the value of the experience, is the value of the convenience, the value of those pieces, is it high enough that I am then willing to push through a little bit of my comfort zone and start using this new technology? I think it's also important to realize that when it comes to privacy, we're not just talking about data privacy, we're talking about spatial privacy. Because our voices do carry, our, it isn't just us talking into um, or typing into something that no one else can see. It is something that we have to think about who is around, who is around me in those pieces. That's something that's come up quite a bit in our work with the open voice network, regardless of who's in the room when that happens. Because as marketers, we do have to think about that. Is our target audience in the room or is someone who is outside of our target audience in the room? So it's thinking through those things. It's also the whole concern of safety. Um, that came up in Germany. Um, so that is not just thinking then again about privacy, but security. Is this secure? Is this something that um, can make sure that whatever I put into it is mine and mine alone? And that's not just privacy, it's, it stays mine. 
Um, so those are some of the things. The way that we can get around that is by explaining and being clear and transparent. This is where open standards come into play of making that consistency and, and those assurances that come with it. But then also creating really good experiences that build that trust of I am going to do what you say I'm doing. I am going to be able to uh, do the thing I said, and there's no hidden consequences. It is just that thing. And then understanding that so that the comfort zone again builds and then people feel more comfortable using it. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is it's it's very much, in addition to creating these experiences, it's just as much explaining the value proposition and why it makes your life easier, why it's faster to do it through voice than typing or logging onto our website and really trying to overcome some of those barriers by actually talking about the benefits. And that's something as creators and as brands, you absolutely are going to have to do over the next 12 to 24 months to really illustrate to your consumer, here's why you want to use these experiences. So we've got an interesting kind of dynamic going on here, right? There, are th- I think there's almost three different s- separate things happening. One is, as you mentioned, Susan, it's privacy of my data. That was the, the main point. So people, particularly even existing users, and we know that that's the majority of people, but there's still the thing that they cite the most, is I'm concerned about the privacy of my data. So where is that data going and who, who has it? I, I, that's what I read from that. But you're saying that there's actually a separate component to that, which is, is this secure? So it's not just about who has that data, but how's it getting there? Or, or, where, or where is it going in the future? And then this third thing about spatial privacy, and let's just dig into that a little bit more because that one is really interesting. You know, the the difference between we see of you know people willing to use voice out loud in their home, for example, a private space, but a public private action, right? They're doing something out loud, but other people are around versus a, a kind of fully public um, space, like a, out in a retail environment or you know at college while studying or somewhere like that. Unpack that for us a little bit. What what are these kind of core differences and maybe why do we think that people are more hesitant, I suppose, in that kind of truly public space? Sure. And I think this is, again, where we see the, the market maturities kind of shift a little, but we also see those cultural mores. In the UK, when we were asking folks, and we asked everyone the same questions, randomized so that there was no um, preference. Again, really excited to be able to get data like that. When we looked at that type of data, what we saw, what we asked them was, you know, comfortable using it in my home, comfortable using it around friends and family, comfort using it outdoors or in restaurants or things along those lines. Um, And we saw differences and variances. And that's what helped us suss out this idea of spatial privacy. We also see it in the devices. That's why someone basically uses that at home. They're using the assistance at home on their smartphone. Well, part of that is because you're not going to be having to speak more loudly and putting out your requests straight across the room. Um, I like to think of this as that whole feeling of if someone could uh, download your search browser, you know, clear my cache before if something happens to me. Very similar. And that that feeling. And that's not an unusual feeling. That's who you are. When we do look out while out shopping or in public transport. In public transport, I will say in the past 18 months, um, those numbers might shift in the future 18 months as we start to reopen or are able to use public transportation or be out and about as much. But what we're kind of seeing throughout all of this is that there is that reluctance to, I don't know if I want to shout out into the void. I don't know if I want to put that much of my personality or what it is of my personal preferences out where strangers can hear it. I think it depends, though. Um, I have to admit, I've witnessed quite a few doctor calls um, on my way to work when we lived in the city and I was on the train. So I think some of that comes into play. But that also comes into the idea of normalization. There was a time where if you saw someone walking with earbuds and talking to the the air, you weren't sure if they were talking to you or someone else. 
those are the types of normalizations that we, again, as, as John was referring to, as time goes on, folks will become more comfortable just speaking out and saying those things and being able to do those social mores. Will all of those cultural boundaries be overcome? Probably not. But I think, you know, there is some normalization in the U.S. I think in Germany, we also see it. Um, There's a little bit more of a conservative bend on that from a U.K. perspective. Following the success of our first voice commerce report, we're back. I'm proud to announce the launch of the Voice Consumer Index 2021. Brought to you by the team at Vixen Labs in partnership with Open Voice Network. The Voice Consumer Index 2021 is an in-depth look at people's behaviours around voice assistance on smart speakers, mobile and web across the US, UK and Germany. The Voice Consumer Index explores seven key sectors, banking and insurance, retail, food delivery, entertainment, consumer packaged goods, healthcare and travel. And we have a host of free materials to help you get the best start. Head to vixenlabs.co to access all of the Voice Consumer Index findings. If you're after a one-to-one consultation tailored to your industry, then email us at podcast at vixenlabs.co. Include the code VIXENPOD21 in your email for a 10% discount on the consultation fee. So let me talk now a little bit about where this might be going in terms of devices. Everyone always wants to know about devices. Let's talk about let's talk about devices. So one of the things that we see here that we probably weren't necessarily thinking about or emphasizing as much, certainly there isn't as much discussion in the industry about, is the difference between voice on the phone and voice on a smart speaker. I think due to the kind of popularity of things like Alexa and Google Assistant of recent years, that has driven a massive attention around smart speakers. And, you know, those are the devices that we see. They're the ones that we refer a lot to. We talk a lot about building actions and skills, etc. But actually out in the real world, it would seem the majority of voice users are predominantly mobile voice users for, yeah, in, in the, the main part. And that has spread quite broadly across uh, Siri, Google Assistant, and, uh, and obviously in less so Alexa. But the two major mobile platforms of iOS and Android definitely are driving the majority of voice usage, and that's where the most frequency is being seen as well. John, for you, you know, as we're talking about standards and trying to kind of build uh, the, the voice industry at large, do you think we've become slightly over-reliant upon talking about smart speakers predominantly? Is there enough focus being placed on mobile at the moment? JP, I couldn't agree more that it, it has been much much too much emphasis upon smart speakers, much too little upon the device future. All we have to do is take a look at how just entertainment content is being consumed today. Is it on a fixed device in the home or is it on the mobile device, that smart device that is the remote control for your daily life? You know, it holds this, it holds that, it holds your payment. It holds all of the things and you consume content on that. It will be your smart speaker too. And so I think as we see broadly, and understand broadly the role of the smartphone, the smart personal device in people's lives, it's inevitable that voice is going to be much more about smartphone than a fixed device. Now, in the kitchen, yeah, it makes sense. In a smart environment for a manufacturing, yes, it makes sense. But for daily, ongoing, I want to search, I want to find, I want to consume, I want to do this, it's going to be smartphone. Absolutely. I think that's and I think that's what the data is telling us. And what's interesting is if you dig into the stats that we have, you know, 
you've got just take I'll just take the kind of the Google Assistant numbers across the board here. 75% of people on the phone, 26% of people on the smart speaker, 10% in the car, similar for headphones, smart displays, and other devices. But to your point, John, actually for in the car, the majority of people, that's their phone. Um, it's probably not a kind of independent smart head unit. On headphones and earphones, well, they're using those devices, but it's powered by their phone, ultimately. And, um, you know, in, in other cases, in other devices, um, most likely it's also kind of being powered by a smartphone or, or some kind of connectivity there. So I think you're absolutely right. There has been an over-reliance upon this smart speaker platform, mostly because the familiarity, particularly in markets in the UK and Germany, where Alexa is very, very dominant, has probably driven some of that. But I think what we're seeing here is we need a more advanced strategy, right? Scott, Susan, what, what does this mean if you're a marketeer and you're seeing this number? You know, how does that change how you approach your voice strategy if you know now that this um, this mobile consumer is one that really needs to be looked at? Well, it's this and then something that we had intended on uncovering but didn't think we would find the results that we did where people are incredibly um, interested in voice on websites. They're incredibly interested in voice in mobile apps, existing mobile apps. Because they've seen the benefit of search being faster. They want that feature built in. So they don't have to use navigation. They don't have to dig for stuff. They can get quick access to information. So it's this chart and this data, plus some of those other things that we uncovered that really says you have a tremendous opportunity to better serve your audience, improve your customer experience, improve the user experience of existing mobile apps and websites by building this functionality into things that already exist. So it's absolutely a multi-channel play. It's an omni-channel play. We always thought that smart speakers were a stepping stone into this greater ecosystem. The data has now proven that out. And so you really need to look at your different touch points and figure out, does voice make it better for my consumer or my audience to get access to information? Does it make their task completion faster? If yes, then you should absolutely integrate it. If no, don't do it because it's actually going to hamper your brand and actually give a negative impact upon what you're already doing. But I think in a lot of cases and a lot of things that we uncovered through the data, we know that there's a lot of opportunity to make things easier and faster for the consumer. Yeah. And I think it's also there is no killer app. Voice is the app. When you add voice, you are making, you know, intelligently, you are able to add voice, make that experience better, um, take away friction. Think it through that way, as opposed to just thinking about silos. And then you are going to be able to unlock the power of making this way of engaging your consumers or in your audiences that much more powerful. So what I'm hearing is that we need to think across the device. We need to think across the whole age range. And we also need to think globally, right? Because I think that's what we've seen from the numbers, right? Is that this is, this is not an isolated thing by market. It's not an isolated thing by device. And it's not an isolated thing in terms of where people are using it. So they might be using that mobile device, but they might be using it in the home, out of the home, in the commute, many different contexts. What I want us to kind of shift gears now to is less about the where and the how and more on the what. What is it that people are actually wanting to do with their voices um, when they are engaging with a, uh, with a virtual assistant, um, regardless of what device that is? One of the things that we uh, came into this research with was a hypothesis. Every good researcher has a good hypothesis. And in this case, we came into it with a hypothesis that we believed that the, the marketing funnel, that kind of awareness, consideration, engagement, purchase, loyalty funnel that many of us have known for many years, um, 
that that was still true in a voice context, that, it was, that that was the behavior that we were expecting to see. And uh, I suppose one of the most uh, exciting and confirming things for me doing this is to see that hypothesis proved out. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not going to lie. I was pleased by that. <laughs> I think we all were. Um, and the reason that that was proved out is because we asked a series of questions about people, how they use their voice assistant. And what do they use it for? And when you begin to knock off the standard things, the, the kind of the first party experiences like weather and news and uh, adding to-do lists, and et cetera, and looked at the kind of more commercial activities that people do, we saw a very interesting pattern that maps almost exactly to that kind of funnel structure. Uh, you can find more about this in the white paper and the exact summary. And again, just a reminder, if you're listening and you haven't yet checked that out, go and find that at www.vixenlabs.co slash VCI. That's a V for Victor, CI or Voice Consumer Index, and, and you can get the slides for free. Um, and in there, you'll find one of the ones that it's titled Reasons for Using Voice Assistance. And the top box uh, in terms of what people do is ask a question to a search engine. Now, whether they know they're asking to a search engine or not is an interesting point. But what we do know is that people ask for a question. And then very quickly, they move into much more commercial activities. For example, searching for information about products and services, for local business information, finding information about specific brands, and then for some of them, making a purchase, which actually you know, is just pushing a shy of 40% of people. So we see a very clear funnel here. Susan, Scott, what does this mean for us uh, when it comes into marketing planning when we've got something like this in front of us, this, this clear funnel? Well, there's definitely, it's not either or when it comes to voice, it's and voice. And that's, again, um, as John was speaking to earlier, we need to, as marketers, think about how we are going to add voice into every phase. Um, it also allows us to pinpoint and look into, as um, is it an awareness problem, a consideration problem, purchase problem, or retention problem? And that gives us a place to start. Because one of the things we do know about voice experiences, and we've talked about this a bit, is there is that value prop. It's also very important to start small and iterate, not try to do all the things all at once. So we have a very definitive way of looking at voice can solve across the funnel. Um, and, you know, when put together thoughtfully, therefore, um, we need we can think through, look into that and add that into our roadmaps and our plans. Yeah. And the big takeaway, it's content. And so at a minimum, you need to start optimizing your web content right now for long tail and voice search. Um, if you're not doing that, you're, you're basically seeding your position to your competition um, because that's really the, the main thing right now. As you see, we have ask a question. Um, to a search engine is a very highly utilized task. And so that basically means our consumers are looking for information. And a lot of times they're probably finding Wikipedia entries. And that's because the content doesn't really exist in this new format, this new medium. So you need to optimize your content. You need to be providing voice content. You need to rework the content you already have that's already answering a lot of these questions to be relevant in this new space. And so that's really kind of that first part or that, you know, first phase into a much larger opportunity for brands. Yeah. As we look at what people are doing with voice, how they're finding those, those experiences and what it is they want to do more, we're realizing really quickly that A, our audience is mature enough to be exploring and looking into these things, but B, there's enough functionality, there's enough trust to that that there's enough to be done that as marketers, we need to take this seriously um, and start adding that in because we've moved from beyond that novelty into a, a potential workhorse. 
So this is an interesting one, right? Because for many years, we've been looking at apps and content as the primary way of engaging consumers when it comes to voice. May that be building skills, building actions, uh, you know, Bixby capsules, et cetera, for the platforms, or producing audio content, things like flash briefings, like podcasts, uh, you know, kind of putting things out there into the ecosystem for, for these assistants to pick up. One of the things that seems to have been a bit of a black box for a long time is this kind of voice search engine optimization side of things. And obviously, when people are hitting these search engines, predominantly we're talking about Google Assistant here, uh, you know, particularly with that mobile usage, as I mentioned, if, if we know that the volume is coming from mobile. And then obviously, you know, the other assistants alike. In the early days of search, there was this kind of black hat, white hat idea. There was, the, you know, the kind of the, the good ways and the bad ways and the ugly ways of getting things done. Um, uh, yeah, how important is it? And John, maybe I, I ask your perspective on this. How important is it that we find some standard ways of doing this and actually we get more transparency into how you can impact this stuff because it does still feel a little bit like the wild west out there at the moment it is the wild wild west james but what standards what protocols what just general guidelines will do is accelerate the paradigm shift that this data represents when individuals can trust they can find they find what they're looking for they can connect with who they want to connect with they understand their destinations. This all begins to expand, accelerate, amplify even more. You know, this is this information that you're showing, JP, is paradigm shattering. It takes us from voice as this kind of unique channel, voice equated with smart speaker, and simply says voice is an interface across the entire journey, across all the touch points. Because the consumers want to interact with you with ease, convenience, speed. And that's what voice represents. So as we work toward the standards, as we work toward the protocols, the guidelines, and in a sense, create a normative way to find, to be found, to connect, and we're doing that right now, this is all going to accelerate even more. This just points to where the future is going. And I think to your point, yeah, the minute that you have standards in something like this, it does accelerate. It is that accelerant factor. So I think that is something we do need to kind of be aware of. But we also need to make sure that people know about those standards and adhere to them, right? Because that is the that's the danger. Um, is that yeah, kind of people looking for back doors into these things. Now, when you come out of that top box, we then go into some of these other more interesting information, you know, kind of search behaviors. I mentioned it follows this kind of funnel pattern. The one at the bottom of that funnel, because in between there, there's variations, right, on products and services, local business, um, brand information, all of which are things that are important to be capitalizing on. But the one that everyone wants to know about is the one down that bottom box, which is making purchases. And you know, seeing it be this high, when you normalize this across the three markets we surveyed, it comes out at 41% of, uh, of people being willing to make a voice purchase of voice users, which we know is more than half of all consumers. So you know, you've got 40% of 50%, <laughs> which basically puts you somewhere in the kind of quarter of the public, right? That, that's a significant position to be in that people are willing to make this purchase. Um, we're going to unpack this more in upcoming episodes when it comes to the specific types of purchases, be those retail, be those consumer goods, uh, you know, and um, food and drink and others. But just generally speaking, Susan and Scott, what's your opinion at the moment on, on what this kind of 40% of people buying things represents? What might they actually be buying? Um, what might they be willing to do in the future? Well, there's actually a couple really interesting things that came out. So, and I, I like combining stats since I, you know, have a, 
a really good mental map of how this all, all this data works together. But what we found is there's a tremendous amount of people that do an initial voice search and then go to a website. And so there's a handoff that's actually happening right now between asking that initial question, asking a question about a brand or a product. And then actually the, the next step is actually them going to the product's website. So right now it's kind of a siloed experience. There is a bit of a disconnect. So that's an opportunity. But we saw about 68% somewhere in that neighborhood of people were interested in continuing that experience within voice. And so it, it begs the um, brands to start considering how to support their consumer at every phase of the journey in both voice-only experiences and then also considering that handoff to their existing properties to actually facilitate the purchase there. So it could be something as simple as deep linking into a deeper page where I can hit add to cart and then actually go on with my day. Um, It could be things like that for the handoff, but also considering ways to actually build voice purchase experiences that go beyond what Amazon and Google and some of the other platforms are doing and actually creating direct-to-consumer voice-only purchase experiences on their own. And it could be something, um, you know, in the entertainment space, there's certainly a high amount of interest in retail when it comes to voice search and, and product lookup and purchase. We're definitely seeing the smaller products, so more consumer packaged goods being those things that people are purchasing right now. But there's also, you know, interest in making travel um, purchases and reservations and things like that. Could be something as basic as transportation locally, or it could be actually booking international or, you know, across the country travel. Absolutely. And I think purchasing is going to be the one that very, people are, are really fascinated to dig into here. Uh, I want you guys to know that on the, the next episode of the show, we're going to be unpacking retail specifically. And obviously retail covers many different things. We're going to be doing that with the, with folks from both the Global Retail Federation and also the uh, the National Reta- Retail Federation of the US and other Open Voice Network members. So do uh, kind of tune in for that episode because we're going to be really digging into kind of what the, e- the e-commerce impact is and also the in-store impact is. John, What's your take on this from a retail perspective, as well as also from other kind of purchasing perspective here? I think you, if you take these numbers and showing the, the marketing funnel and also then taking a broader perspective and just use the Internet as a comparison, more than half of all purchases in the United States in retail are influenced directly by the Internet. And yet the sum total of purchasing on a revenue basis directly through the internet is probably right around or slightly below 20%. So the internet has a huge influence upon retail, but that's not fully directly represented in the revenues. And so what we see here in the marketing funnel, voice as as an entry door to the digital world is going to be extremely influential. It's already showing with the the amount of, of voice search, extremely influential on the decision path of consumers. Is it available? Is it there? What's the price? What are the features? And then maybe I go to the website, maybe I go to the store. But if you're not in voice and you're not being heard and you're not listening to your consumer, you're never going to be there at the final destination point of a credit card or a contactless payment going your way. 
Well, I completely agree. And I quote yourself back to you, John, with uh, the quote that we included from you in the uh, in the opening of the of all the materials, which you, you know you said voice will soon be a primary way to consumers connect with the digital world and a primary way with digital marketers that will connect with consumers. I think that that meeting point, you know, whatever the next step is that people take, and, and we've got more data on that in the white paper. So I encourage people to go and go and download that in terms of what next steps people might take after uh, a first voice engagement. It definitely tells us that this is a point of opportunity. It's a point of connection is a point that you can actually intersect uh, an existing journey that we know people are already doing and doing in big numbers and i think that that's uh, that's one of the most compelling things that's come out of the research well we're nearly at time so i wanted to give a, a kind of few final words and, and recommend to people where they can kind of go and dig in to this more so if you have not had a chance yet to download the executive summary or read the white paper that susan and scott most diligently wrote that john is also quoted in as i just mentioned you can find it at www.vixenlabs.co slash vci for voice consumer index 2021 brought to you proudly in partnership with the open voice network john if people want to find out more about ovn uh, joining if they're a practitioner or uh, you know, kind of becoming either a partner or a sponsor, where can they do that? And, and what would your message be to people considering that? Look us up on www.openvoicenetwork.org, Open Voice Network, all one word. And if you're concerned, interested, excited by the future of voice, we're the organization to be a part of. Excellent. Well, we look forward to people doing that. And obviously, Susan and Scott, you've been digging into these research findings uh, in much detail recent weeks. But if people want to connect with you and find out more about the topics at hand, where should they go and find you? So um, you can find me at bit.ly bit.ly uh, right slash Susan Westwater, all one word. And I am bit.ly slash Scott Westwater and Scott with one T. And that has links to our email, our LinkedIn profiles, really all the ways you can get a hold of us. Um, and that's really the best way to do it. And if you are just about to set out on your journey of putting together a voice strategy, you can also go find these guys uh, on Amazon. They are fantastically published authors of Voice Strategy, the book. Um, so I, I thoroughly commend that to you as well. So if, that, if you need a, a jump start into your strategy for 2022, that's the place to go. Okay, well, in the coming weeks, we have got some fantastic content coming up for you. We're going to be digging deep into each of the different industry sectors that we surveyed. Data that you're not going to find anywhere else publicly on the web. We had to keep a little bit of special source back for you, but we are going to leak it out slowly through these episodes coming up. As I mentioned, we've got some fantastic content coming up in the next couple of weeks, looking at retail, looking at consumer goods, looking at healthcare, looking at uh, food and beverage and uh, you know, quick service restaurants. So all of that is to come. So if you're in one of those sectors, make sure that you've done the thing that everyone says on a podcast, subscribe, leave a review, all of those things help. Thanks so much for joining us on this first inaugural episode of the Talking Shop podcast from Vixen Labs, where we're trying to make voice work for marketeers. Thanks to all of my guests for being here today. and We'll see you again very soon. You've been listening to Talking Shop from Vixen Labs. If you'd like to download any of the Voice Consumer Index 2021 resources mentioned in this episode, then head over to vixenlabs.co slash VCI, where you can get the white paper, executive summary, and more delivered straight to your inbox. Until next time, keep talking 